0: Continuing on until tomorrow night, uh, taking up different Christmas carols each night, so we're glad that you made it out tonight. Tonight we're going to do Joy to the World, and if that's your favorite, you came on the right night. Um, And if not, we'll sing a couple, maybe we'll sing one other one before we sing Joy to the World, which is on page five in this booklet that you're, you're free to take home if you want afterwards. But maybe we'll sing before that tonight, the one just opposite on page six. Oh, Holy Night. Now we did this one on night number one on Sunday. I think you can listen or watch these if you want online. So we did this famous carol on Sunday night. And we'll sing it again tonight. Uh, appropriate, we'll sing it, all three verses of it. And then after that, we'll sing tonight's carol, Joy to the World. So we'll sing this first one here, "Oh, Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of, our dear, of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh hear the angels' voices, O oh night divine, O oh night when Christ was born, O oh night, O oh holy night, O oh night divine. And we had a little difficulty in that last line there. Um, in these verses. So um, I think uh, we'll try to make our way through it, but there might be a different way to sing the last line in that first one, but uh, we'll get to it when we get there. So we'll sing this first one,
1: O Holy Night. O Holy Night
0: Page number five. This carol here, written by Isaac Watts. We're going to talk about him a little bit this evening. Um, almost, oh, well over 300 years ago. So if you've never sung a 300-year-old hymn, you're going to do that in a couple of minutes here. So we're going to sing this one together. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every part." Prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. The last verse says here, he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, and the wonders of his love, and the wonders of his love, and the wonders, wonders of his love. We'll sing all four verses here. Mr. Watts' uh, famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World.
1: Joy to the world
0: Uh, the scriptures open and also this Christmas carol spoken on. So my name is David Sudama, and uh, I'm glad tonight to be able to present to you once again uh, what the Bible calls the good tidings of great joy. So before we uh, read from the Bible and discuss this Christmas carol, let's bow our heads and ask for God's blessing on this meeting. We'll pray together. Our Father, we give thanks uh, for this evening uh, that you have been so kind to us and allowing us to gather like this here, and not only that, uh, but all the freedoms that have been granted to us, we acknowledge them as coming from your hand. Freedom to assemble, freedom to open the Word of God, freedom, Lord, to uh, declare uh, Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners. We pray, Lord, tonight that there would be someone in this meeting who would readily anticipate responding to the words of the Jesus Christ when he could say, If you know the truth, the truth will set you free, and you shall be free indeed. We pray, Lord, tonight that what we would say would be directly what the Scriptures would say. And we pray, Lord, that we would have uh, once again... uh, just a renewed interest in what the Bible has to say, not what men have to say. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to speak from this carol as to what it is that offers men and women incredible joy of knowing their sins forgiven, and of knowing uh, that there is a soon-returning Savior. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would eagerly await him, knowing that he is the one who has saved us because of the work of So give us help as we speak this evening, and give our audience help to listen. We ask all this in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 So we're going to speak about this Christmas carol this evening, Joy to the World. And um, as far as verses to read, I thought what we would do is, is that last line there that I was thinking about, or really last stanza, talks about truth, talks about One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule the world in truth and grace. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, but I I was thinking about truth, because when it comes to Christmas, you would have to admit with me that almost, I don't want to put a number on it, but close to 70 or 80% of what happens at Christmas is not true, right? Where did the gifts come from? How did he get into your house? You know? How does he make it around the world? You know, why do we have to buy a tree, right? You know, do I deserve this? All these things—we just kind of stack a lot of lies, you know. And so it's maybe tonight. I don't want to. Sometimes I've said things in meetings, and parents have gotten mad at me because I've alerted their kids to things they didn't know were not true or that. So um, I want to speak on a verse. That's a famous verse. It's the only time that the Lord Jesus ever mentioned his birth. And we mentioned his, we must mention his birth a good hundred times in the month of December, a lot of us who are Christians, uh, because it's it's the birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he only talked about his birth one time. And i like to read that verse. If you want to turn to it with me or you have a Bible, it's found in John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're going to read verse 37. John chapter 18 and verse 37 it may come as a surprise to you that the Lord Jesus talked about his birth on the last day that he was alive, before he was crucified. So on the last day of his life was the only time that we have recorded that he talked about his birth. We're going to read that verse, and maybe we'll read one other one that has a connection with truth. But here, in John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate, he was the judge, Pilate therefore said unto him, Are thou a king, then? Are you a king? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. The only time he mentions his birth. To this end was I born. And for this cause, this is it, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said unto him, What is true? Maybe that's your question. What is true? At a a time of year like this, tell me, what is true? Well, (laughs) gladly, we have the Bible in front of us. And that's my only authority tonight. So one more verse in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 6. What is true? And what is true? You might say, I don't know. that's, that's That's a tough question. You don't... You don't realize who you're asking. You don't know me. I don't know you. You say that's that's for someone to figure out on their own, and maybe so. But I want to leave you with one other verse here, John 14 and verse six. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. He was asked a question. Show us the way. And the Lord Jesus said unto them, said unto him, this is verse six. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just listen to these last words here. No man, no man comes unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We're going to speak about those verses. Truth, how you can know something's true and what it means. But it meant a lot to our hymn writer tonight, the writer of Joy to the World, Mr. Isaac Watts. You may have never heard of Isaac Watts before. And you might think it's not really important that you know much about Isaac Watts, but I would try to convince you otherwise. Isaac Watts is considered to be the father of English hymns, hymnody. So if you've been in a church service in the past 100 years, most of you are under that age, or if you've been in a church service in the past 300 years, and you've risen to sing, to sing a hymn, if you opened a hymnal, there is probably hymnals right behind in the book of Samar, and you've you opened a hymn and you stood up and sang a hymn and you say, wow, what a great practice. Who do I have to thank for this? Isaac Watts, the father of hymnody. Before that, everyone got up and sang psalms and that was the main repertoire of any meeting. And so psalms were all that they sang for the most part until we have Isaac Watts come on the scene, born in uh, the early part, or the late part of the 17th century, and writes this hymn that we have here in 1790. He's born in England, and so, obviously, English in Southampton, and he's born on a place in Southampton called French Street, because his mom is a Huguenot. You know the Huguenots, they, they were escaping religious persecution, and they came uh, from different parts of Europe, but they fled to port cities in England to escape persecution. Isaac Watts' dad, who's also called Isaac Watts, he was a poet and his grandfather was a poet. So, I don't know, some people say, is, is, is being a poet, is there a poetic gene? I've had some people ask and I say, I don't know, but according to the Watts family, it was. They were poet after poet after poet and it just kept getting better. When Isaac was born, his dad wasn't around. You say, ah, oh, what, a, what a pathetic word. Well, his dad wasn't around because he was in prison. You say, like, it gets even worse. Well, his dad was in prison because he didn't want to be obedient to the churches in his time. They wanted him to worship in a certain way. They wanted him to interpret the Bible in a certain way. And Isaac Watt's father, he was called a nonconformist. He said, no, he said, I, I just want to go by what the Bible says. And so they put him in prison. You think, imagine being put in prison because you didn't want to do church the way people wanted to do church. So he was put in prison. When Isaac Watts was born, his mother brought him to the prison steps and showed him to his father. And and she would she would take care of him in the prison steps. And that, that's that's how his dad met his son, was through this exchange on prison steps. You say really what a An awful way to start your life by meeting and being presented to your father who's in jail, but I would say maybe for a good reason, because Isaac himself went on to be a non-conformist as well. His dad was one of the most consummate homeschoolers known to man. If you're homeschooled, and you're here in the meeting, or if you're not, you say, I don't know, my my teacher, you never can insult your teacher as a homeschool person because you'd be insulting your parent. But Isaac Watts' dad was the homeschooler par none. He he started to homeschool his family of seven children, and it was so good that other kids started coming to the school program. In fact, there is historical evidence that there was a, a, a family who immigrated to Virginia in the U.S., And they heard about Mr. Watts' homeschooling program. And this father sent his son back to England on a ship just so he could be homeschooled by Mr. Watts. So he had quite an educational program, Isaac's father. Isaac was a quick learner. And he was very, very, very bright. He learned Latin at four. He learned Greek at six years old. I don't
1: know where you are. Um, right now, but he learned Latin at four, he learned Greek at six, he learned French at ten,
0: he learned Hebrew at the age of 13, all before ever having to go to high school. And what an amazing kid. And he was really into, you know, you ever been in class, and there was always that one kid, and as soon as the question is asked, he's got his hand up, right? That was Isaac Watts. As soon as the question was asked, and of course his dad's the teacher, so he never got picked on him. And, but what was very humorous about Isaac Watts is that when he answered, he would answer in a rhyme because he was a poet just from his earliest ages. And so, you know, what's eight times eight, you know? And, and somehow he would find a word to rhyme with 64, no more. You know, please don't keep score. And he, he was always rhyming, everything, all the answers he would, he would put into a rhyme, and it bugged his dad to no end. And so his father said, listen, Isaac, no more rhyming. No more. I don't want to hear anything else. And of course, Isaac, to be being shot, said, "Okay, that's fine. I won't rhyme." And of course, the days went by, and another question, you know, about the Pythagorean theorem. He's got a hand up, and he asks his dad. It calls on him, and he answers with a rhyme. So his dad takes him aside, and like all good parents did back then, it was time to get a spanking. And his dad lifted the paddle. Lifted and paddle to and give his son a spank and Isaac turned to his father and he said, "Father, father, pity take, and no more verses I will make." You know, and uh, and uh, you can imagine what did the dad do? Well, I will leave you to find out what the dad did because I don't know. What would a good father do at that point? You know. So that was a little bit of who Isaac Watts was from a young age. It was just a brilliant mind when it comes to rhyming, when it comes to language, when it comes to pulling words. Like a thesaurus would from from the English vocabulary in order to come up with poems, and you know what? It was so good that his parents, like any good parent here, would. When your kid does really well at something, you immediately know that they're probably cheating, right? Or or somehow uh, plagiarizing. So his mom, uh, upon you know reading some of his work, says he's got to be copying these from somewhere. He's got to be. He's he's. He's got to be reading them somewhere that we don't know of and writing them down. So his mom said, Isaac, come in here in the kitchen. I want you to write a poem right now. Got the quill. And he started to write at the age of seven this unbelievable ode. An unbelievable, just The words were flowing, and they were all about Jesus Christ. They were the words he was speaking about honor. He was speaking about intrinsic worth. He was speaking about his salvation, and his soul, and his atonement. And he was speaking about Calvary. And he was speaking about the whosoever. And he was speaking about the attempts that could be made to know him. And he was speaking about the treasures of heaven. And he was speaking about the... And, And his mom said... You're copying that from somewhere. Where did you get that from? And he picked, up, he picked up the poem. And not only had he written a poem, but it was an acrostic, and it spelled out Isaac Watts. And Bob was like, this is unbelievable. You know? He's not cheating. He's not plagiarizing. This was a kid that just had it. Sometimes you hear messages like this, and you go home, and you want your kids to write poems. This is not a go and do likewise. This was an unbelievable <laughs> yeah. one. This was an unbelievable mind here who was just gifted with being able to take these words and to put them into meter and to give them meaning. But Isaac was just consumed with writing verse about one subject. And you think of all that he did and all that was said in his life, here was the one who was going to to, to, to
1: reinvent
0: singing. He grew up in a church where every day they would, every day, every Sunday they would get up and read the Psalms. And he'd come home from one church service and he said to dad, he goes, that is, I don't know what he said back in 18th century England, but in in our vocabulary, he said to his dad, that was a real drag. You know, that was really boring. His dad said, well, listen, he goes, if you can do better, go ahead. And at the age of 17, he started to write hymns, hymns that were then sung. They went to a a church in London that was called the Above Bar Street Church, Um, and it was on Bar Street, Uh, and and that church started to sing some of the songs that Isaac wrote, And, and, and he had this ability, in his lifetime, over 700 hymns, 700 different hymns that he had written in his lifetime that
1: span
0: all the scriptures and span Old Testament, New Testament, from the Psalms to Revelation, he wrote on Scripture, because that was true. And he wanted to be able to put into song what people should know from the Scriptures. Isaac himself was not anybody's delight. You know, sometimes you see these guys who are singing, and you want to be them. Isaac Watts was five feet tall. He wore a wig most of his life. He was sick. Six out of seven days in the week. Never got married, probably couldn't. And you say, all these things that, that would have made him an insignificant part of history, it wasn't about what he looked like. It was about what came out of this man's heart and what actually he was able to put down on paper that men and women have been singing for the past 300 years. Of all that he did, he have influenced and affected just not only a generation, but, but even culturally. Charles Dickens includes an Isaac Watts hymn in his book, David Copperfield. Herman Melville and Moby Dick. If you read through the book at the end, it's all the sailors on the boat get a hymnal from Isaac Watts. Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, in Alice in Wonderland, mocks Isaac Watts. Unfortunately, it's mockery, but still, this man made his way into the writings and the culture of the day, and he has made his way into the hearts of Christians over the past 300 years. His most published, his most popular song that he has written is the one that we have sung tonight, Joy to the World. It is the most published Christmas Carol of the 20th century. So just take that in. It's the most published. That means something that they put in a book and they printed it down. In the 20th century, nothing got more publication than Joy to the World. Now everyone take a deep breath because what I'm about to say next, if you don't know it already, is going to shock you. Joy to the World has nothing to do with Christmas. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you never heard that before. Joy to the world has nothing to do with Christmas. You say, that's unbelievable. Why did they get it wrong? It was written around Christmas time, and it was put into a little hymnal, but when Isaac Watts wrote this, he was, he was looking at Psalm 98, and he wasn't thinking about the first coming of the Lord Jesus. He was thinking about the, the second coming. You know, it's still ahead of us. And, you know, we always sing this. I'm sure you sung it tonight, too. And you probably thought, "That's great. a great visit. Joy to real life. Let heaven and earth receive. Yeah, receive him. You know, let every heart prepare him room. And then you probably read that line about repeat the sounding joy. You go home and read Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You don't you know what the, 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 the heaven and nature sing. It always gets people. I think, I don't know. What does that mean? The fields and the floods and the rocks and the hills. You go home and read Psalm 98, and there you have hills clapping. And you have floods making noise. And you think, here it was. All his thoughts were on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I think, well, you know, when I read that, that was news to me. Maybe maybe you've known that for years. It's news to me that for years you could sing a carol and think, oh, man, it really reminds me of Christmas. And yet has nothing to do with the first time. You say, can we really get things that wrong? Don't you? Maybe it doesn't bother you. It it doesn't mean anything to me. I've gotten so many things wrong in life. At this point, if I got Joy of the World wrong, it's added to the list, right? But sometimes you get things so mixed up, and you say, how did I miss that? All this time. How did I get that wrong? And uh, if I got that wrong, what else did I get wrong? Maybe this evening from Scripture, talking about truth, talking about Isaac Watts' carol, Your Joy to the World. Are there some things that maybe you have to reevaluate because maybe you were just looking at it wrong? Maybe you just didn't. Maybe you thought one thing, but actually, if you were to go back and look at what the words say, and you were going to go back and look at what the author meant, you'd say it was something completely different. Many of us tonight are separated from the first coming of Jesus Christ by. About 2,000 years, because we date our calendars that way. Actually, 2,026 years from the time he was born. But he could come back. He could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back before Christmas. I ask you, everybody in this meeting, from the front row to the back, when he comes back, are you ready? When he returns, everybody's ready for Christmas, right? Maybe some of you haven't bought your gifts yet. You've got a couple weeks left. And everybody kind of knows that, that that fuzzy area where you have to be ready. If you're at the 23rd and you have no ideas, not going to happen. Everybody gets ready for the day. Just like people got ready, but no one was ready when he came the first time. There were few people prepared. There were shepherds out in the field, didn't even know it was going to happen. There, there were wise men had seen a star, and it took them a year to make it to him. And there were a few people who were anticipating his coming. When he comes the second time, would you say you're ready or you're not? Because being ready for when he comes back makes all the difference in someone's life. All the difference. When he comes back. I want to look just at the words that we sung tonight. Some of these words that are, are very famous. And each stanza. And I just want to talk about them tonight in light of what the Lord Jesus said. I want to talk about the heart. He talks about here in his first verse about hearts preparing room. And the next one I'd like to talk about not just hearts. But he talks about joy. Joy to the earth. Repeat the sounding joy. Sin. Sin is in the third stanza. Don't let sins grow anymore in sorrow. And the last one, I love that line, truth, but not just truth, truth and grace. When we come to the heart, the heart is often something that is is pictured as being just uh, very romantic, very magical, this idea of the heart. And yet, when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible talks about the heart as the the, the, the driving force of why we do things, why we are the way we are, what, what makes us get out of bed in the morning is attributed to the heart. And the Bible tells us that that's the driving force in our lives, but the Bible also tells us that our hearts are, are desperate, desperately wicked and deceitful. And so a lot of people tell me, I just, I, I follow my heart, I trust in my heart. Bible would say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And yet, Isaac walks, he writes here to hymn, he says, let every heart prepare him room. When he comes back this next time, when he returns, he came to Bethlehem the first time, this next time when he returns, what will my heart, how will my heart respond to that? Will then, will then be the greatest of all indicators of whether or not he's my Savior or he's my judge. My heart. You know, the Bible, the Lord Jesus often talked about. He said, hey, he goes, if, you're, if your hand is doing something that is going to prevent you from getting to heaven, just get rid of your hand. If your eyes, if your eyes are allowing you to watch stuff that are, is preventing you from getting to heaven, just get rid of your eyes. If your feet are taking you places that are preventing you from getting to heaven, get rid of your feet. And if you read through that, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. You said, This is, this is gruesome. I, I don't think I want to end up just without any limbs. And yet, the whole time, he was telling us that when we sin, it's not our hands, it's not our eyes, it's not our feet. When we sin, it's, it's coming from here, it's in our heart. It's a problem we were born with. And Isaac Watts, he says here, hearts. Could it be possible? that a heart would prepare him room. And yet from Scripture we know this. It's a famous chapter, Romans 10, and it tells us this, that the same heart that hates God, the same heart that that loves evil, loves sin, the Bible says there, if you want to be saved, if you want to know your sin's forgiven, it says there you don't have to go up into heaven and somehow get Christ to come back down or, or go down and get him to come up. It says that, that faith, righteousness, is closer than you think, in your mind, in your heart, that if you declare, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the scriptures tell us this about the heart, about what is, is otherwise desperately wicked, that this heart can be made new by the one who took your place at Calvary. The one who is true. Because the heart has survived so long on evil and wickedness, the only thing that makes it new is truth. And the Lord Jesus, he says this, that, that truth is him. Providing truth, truth that the heart can take in, is just this, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose again, Not only that, but that he went back to heaven. And he's coming back. As Isaac Watts points out in this hymn, he's coming back. And how does your heart respond to it? You know, our hearts, they want a lot of things. And maybe this evening you're thinking, I I don't know. I don't know if I really wanted to be here or not. I don't know what I want out of this meeting. If you were to ask yourself, as you sit here tonight, what is it that my heart really wants? What is, it, what is it that is longing for? Is your heart aware of a problem within? Because if you have no problem, you need no answer. If you're not lost, you really don't need to be found. If you don't have any sins, you are in no need of a Savior. If you have no fear of hell, why would it matter if you're going to heaven or not? But if any of those things aren't true, and maybe this evening, your heart is looking. We all know there's something wrong. We all we all have to admit that. You can't pick up a paper, turn on the radio. You can't go to school and not admit there's something really messed up in this world. If you're the answer to the problem, then God bless you. But some of us have come to a recognition in life that the problem in this world is not located on another continent. And the problem in this world is not located in another town. The problem in this world is not located in my government, my president. The problem in this world is not located somewhere else. The problem in this world is located right in between my two lungs. The problem in this world is my heart. And the problem in this world is me. And so, if ever there's going to be a solution, it's not going to come from me. The only way that a heart could prepare him room is if a heart has been made new. And the only way a heart can be made new is by a man who doesn't have our problem taking our place. And the Bible has presented only one man who did not have a heart that was captive to sin. And that was this man, Jesus Christ. That's true. That's true. Isaac Watts believed it. Do you? Not only hearts, but he talks about joy here. The Lord Jesus, in the last night before he went to Calvary, he said this. He said, I have spoken words to you. I have told you what I'm thinking. I have said things. Meaning much, he says, I have given you the words that you've just read in these pages. Why? So that your joy might be full. And so that my joy might remain in you. And that your joy might be complete. He said that. You think, we talk about joy sometimes, and it's a seasonal thing. A lot of us have a seasonal depression, and sometimes it can be this year. A lot of us have discouragements. We have regrets at the end of the year about what we didn't do in 2022. We have misgivings. We have just letdowns, and all the things that mark December, although joyful, at the same time can be awfully discouraging. And yet, is life all a matter of whether you're happy or not? Is that really what you think? Is, is it all that matters tonight is am I a happy person? Because if happiness is your goal, then there's a million and one ways to achieve it. A million and one. If happiness is all you want, there's a mall down the road. There's an amusement park around the corner. There's a vacation to take in February if happiness is all you want. But the Lord Jesus, he spoke about something greater. He spoke about joy. He spoke about a joy that, 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 that didn't come from earth, it came from heaven. And he said this, that this joy was as a result of his word, truth, truth, a result of what he said. We're searching for joy anywhere and everywhere, but the last time anybody cracked the cover between these two, these two pages, looking for joy, he said, oh, I'd never find it in that
1: archaic thing.
0: I would never find it in a book that is thousands of years old. Never. And yet, here is the source. According to the man himself, Jesus Christ, he says, I have spoken that you might have joy. Isaac Watts says, repeat the sounding joy. The sounding joy. Something that's so great, it needs to be repeated over and over and over again. What is that joy? That joy is to know this. Forgiveness. How would I ever know I'm forgiven? Through his word. To know that, that, that some man has taken my guilt, borne my punishment, took my place, took all my condemnation, took all my judgment. How would I ever know that's true? His word. How would I ever know that I have forgiveness? That I have a one who was my substitute? How would I ever know that some man has paid the penalty for my... His word. How would I ever know real joy? How would there's a lot of people who would, who would listen and they would say, it is not going to be in things. I know that joy is not in things. We keep reminding ourselves of that this time of year. Joy is not in things. Joy can't be placed around a Christmas tree. Joy can't be hung on a mantle. Joy can't be switched on and off. Joy can't just be in 31 days of the 365-day calendar. Joy is not something. Joy is someone. And that someone has to be eternal. That someone can't have the same problem that marks every single one of us. That person. And you know what? That person has to to want joy for you as well. To think of of the humility, to think of the concern of Jesus Christ. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows your family. He he, he knows the, the number of hairs on your head, the Bible says. He he knows the beginning of your days, and He knows when your days will end. He knows all these things, and yet His desire for you, because He loves you, is just this. I have spoken these words that you might have (coughs) joy. Joy. Repeat it. Isaac Watts says. Repeat it to yourself. Because otherwise, we'll chase it anywhere else. Not only joy. Not only the heart. But Mr. Watts here, he speaks of sin. He speaks of, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. And he says here, he comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. You know, when when Adam sinned, when Adam took from the tree, that curse that came upon all mankind, because Adam is the father of us all, that curse that has spread like wildfire. It spread and made COVID look like something that was, was regulated. But that curse has spread throughout the world. That curse upon everything and upon everyone. All because one man did not believe what God said. And he reached for a tree. And from that we get thorns and we get sins. You know, there was another man who did believe that what God said was true. And he reached down, and he took a crown of thorns, and he also went to another tree, and instead of taking from it, he put himself on it, in order that you would be forgiven of your sins, that there would be no curse on you. And just like the verse says here, no more, no more. What an incredible thought that anyone in this life could come to a point where they could say, sin no more controls this heart but instead the one who defeated sin and death and hell of Calvary, Jesus Christ. That's true. That's true. Whether you believe it or not tonight, that's truth. That's truth that this man, Jesus Christ, went to a tree in order to rescue us from this curse. And and Mr. Watts, he says, as far as that curse went, every continent it touched, every part of the human makeup it has affected, every family that it has destroyed, every society that it has wrecked, the same thing that the curse did. Jesus Christ and His cross has made provision for every single one of those things that sin has wrecked. His blood, His blessing, His life, His death has made it possible that sin no more will grow. And yet, we live in a world dominated by sin, And yet here, the hope of Mr. Watts is that there is a man who's returning to this world one day. And the Bible says, sin no more will rule. Instead it will be righteousness. Not only sin, but this last one. Truth. Truth. Truth and grace, he says here. Maybe one of my favorite, favorite points in the whole carol. I don't know if you can call it that since it's not about Christmas. He rules the rule with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. I love, I guess I say, I love the fact that I know that uh, even at this time of year where love seems to be exchanged as freely as nickels and dimes are, that there is a man who loves me and he never asks for a reason to love me. He needs no reason. It's it's part of his character. But that he loved me enough to give his life for me. I, I don't have, I don't know of anybody in my life. I know of many people who had the, who were given the opportunity to lay down their life for me. But no one's ever actually had to do that for me. But this man, Jesus Christ, sometimes at a time of the year like this, we think about us as like eight billion people, and then we think about. The child of Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, over here is just the one. And we actually start to think, how much interest could this one have in any one of those eight billion? You know, the Bible tells us something astounding. I'm I'm glad that that the hall is relatively full tonight, that there's people to speak to. But if it was just you, if it was just you, it's just one person here. If Brookfield only had one person, hard to imagine, one person. If, if Connecticut, if you took all the suburbs and towns of Connecticut, and yet we just whittled it down and so said it was just you. If the United States, 339 million people, it was just you. Just one American. If there was just one inhabitant in North America, just one person in this world. You know, I could still get up here. If you were the only other person besides me, I could still get up here. You could still sit down there, and I could say to you with just as much confidence tonight that Christ Jesus came into the world to save you, one person. And I think of all the individuals, but but it's true. And when I think of Him coming, when I think of truth and grace, you think of all the things that are so hard to believe. And sometimes we're ashamed of ourselves that. And how how nicely we've made this time of year believable to our children, and, and what we've done. Now, granted, whatever you want to do, I, I, this is not a, this is not a pep talk on how to tell your kids the truth about Christmas. But but just think about it. Think of all the ways in which we've taken this time of year, and we've sold everybody on something that has it's not even logical. And that's where we get our joy from. And yet, all the while, there's something true here. And it's not attractive. And and yet, if you were to look at the Bible, and all the things that you're asked to believe, sometimes it's easy to believe truth. And and because it doesn't affect me. If, If you talked about Moses parting the Red Sea thousands of years ago, yeah, I believe it. And so do you. Because it doesn't really affect you. If you talk about the Israelites marching around Jericho and walls falling down, yeah, I'll believe that. Doesn't affect me. I'll believe it. Talk about a, a man getting swallowed by a whale or a fish. Won't ask for a show of hands. But you say, yeah, yeah Doesn't affect me, I'll believe it. it, it we, we talk about Joshua talking to the sun, saying to the sun, stand still, so that we can fight a battle. You say, kind of goes against science, but I'll believe it. Doesn't affect me. Really, really, it's easy to believe things when, really, how does it affect me? If I told you something about the war in Ukraine today and said, you know, a couple hundred people died in a village, say, so yeah, I, I believe that. It sounds about right. If, if I told you about someone who donated, you know, a million dollars to some charity today, Salvation Army, say, so yeah, yeah, I believe that. You know, because it, it just it doesn't affect me, it's not in my backyard, it's not me. But then it gets a little harder to believe things when it directly affects you. When it, when it comes right into to my heart. And some of the times it's bad things, and sometimes it's good things. Isaac Watts wrote this great carol. He also wrote another hymn that maybe is known to some here. And it's called this, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Great, great hymn. Known by many, maybe not known by everybody. And he, he wrote this this hymn, When I Survey. Everyone's familiar with that word, survey. And we, we take a look at something, but that's not a glance. We look for details. When you survey a landscape, when you survey a property, I mean, you're looking for, for changes in elevation. You're looking for <coughs> distinctions and trees and and, and, and the way in which the, the ground is different. And, and where property lines start and end, but surveying is something more than a look. And Isaac Watts, he chose that word as, as the great lyricist and wordsmith of the 18th century. And he said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And then he did something that few people do. He then talked about himself, me, My, he said. I ask you tonight, truth. The Lord Jesus said he was the truth. He spoke about the reason that he came into the world was truth. Isaac Watts spoke about truth and grace pervading this world one day, that he's coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. When he comes back, I ask you, when you survey the cross, when you look at the man who hung on the center tree for six hours, was He there for you? Were you any of the reason He was there? Were you the cause? Were your sins what, what put Him there? When you survey that place, as Mr. Watts asked people to do, you know, that, that's, that's a great moment when anybody in their life comes to terms realizing the wonders of His love, the wonders of His righteousness, His grace, realizing this, that there was one who died at the cross and it was for me, for my sins. And just like I can believe so many things that have nothing to do with me, they have to be true because the Bible is true from beginning to end. But how wonderful tonight to believe something that does involve you. That when Christ died, he died for your sins. You say, oh, how could I be confident? Because it's true. Whether you believe it or not, it's in this book. God has said it. Whether I believe it or not doesn't change it. It's true. Jesus Christ has told us. And Isaac Watts lets us know once again from his famous carol, Joy to the World, that here is something that is true, something worth believing, something looking over it, to take it in and to realize joy, sins forgiven, To know a heart that is ready for him to come back. So the next time you sing it, remember this. Nothing to do with Christmas. Everything to do with his second coming. And maybe tonight you would be saved because you would realize this. If you're still waiting for something to happen, you have your chronology all wrong. You're only going to be saved tonight, not because of something that will happen. Because of something that already took place. When Christ died for your sins. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks for your Son once again. And for a chance to speak about him, we're thankful for the truth in your word. are thankful, Lord, that you remind us that God cannot lie. And we ask, Lord, that even this evening we might come into the good of recognizing that, that we would say, it is true, God cannot lie. And what he has told us is remarkable about his son giving his life as a ransom for us. May we believe it tonight have salvation, forgiveness of sins, have new birth, and have a new heart. This we ask, in his name, the Lord Jesus, amen. Now, maybe even more difficult thing tonight is we're going to sing our Christmas carol for tomorrow night, it's probably the most difficult one that we have for this week. It's on the back cover of your handout there, Christmas Bells, um, written by Henry Longfellow, Um, I will start it, and uh, maybe based on how well it's going, we'll see how many verses we'll sing, but we'll try to go through this. This is a famous poem that was written by an American poet back during the Civil War, and we're going to speak about it tomorrow night. The first verse says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace, honor, goodwill to men. And verse 3 says, And in despair I bowed my head, There is no peace on earth, I said, For hate is strong and mocks the song Of peace on earth, good will to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep, The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, With peace on earth, good will to men. We'll try to sing through this, Um based on how well it goes, we'll see how many of these we sing. Um, I don't mind singing the first one alone, uh, to give you an idea, but if you know it, I'd be glad to have you join in after this great Christmas carol. <laughs> I heard the bells on Christmas day I heard close, we'll sing Joy to the World again. We'll have to practice that one again for tomorrow. We'll sing Joy to the World, uh, just to end the meeting there. Joy to